right, well, let's uh, open up our Bibles this morning to the uh, book of John, chapter number 21. And as we, as you're aware, we have been entering into a study on the life of Christ. So a couple of weeks ago, if you recall, we spent some time talking about those 400, what are called silent years between the Old Testament and the New Testament to kind of connect some dots so we understand, uh, you know, what, what's kind of going on in the context of this time uh, there in, in, uh, in Israel. Uh, last week, we spent some time beginning to actually explore the ministry of Jesus Christ, and we spent the, uh, the entirety of last week really talking about what Jesus' main function was when he came to this earth. And when I say main, I mean, obviously, we know he came to seek and to save that which was lost. We know that he came to give his life a, a, as a ransom for many. We, na- we know that he came to, to, uh, to set the captives free. We, so we understand that, but I'm saying as far as his earthly ministry, what did he do day to day? Well, his primary role was a teacher. And we looked at all those verses all throughout the Gospels that said that whenever they listed the things that Jesus did, it always begins with teaching. It always begins with teaching. And we spent a lot of time last week talking about what he taught about. Um, As you recall, he taught about himself. He taught about that he was the Savior. We looked at those I am statements. I am the door. I am the bread. I am the life. I am the light. He was speaking about himself, telling people that he had come to bring salvation. But not did he teach about himself. Uh, but the way that he taught, he taught openly for all to hear. There was no secret, like, uh, backdoor meetings that he wanted other people to know about. There was no secret, hidden knowledge. He preached for all to hear. Anyone that would listen could hear the message of Jesus Christ. So it wasn't only for, like, a, a select group of people or just for a, a, a special inner, inner circle. It was for anyone that would come and listen as he would begin to teach. And what did he teach about? Why well, is it he taught about himself? He also taught about the kingdom of heaven. And you recall last week we spent a lot of time talking about those parables where he would describe the kingdom of heaven in many different ways. And we looked at the the things that we could learn from those teachings he had as far as, uh, you remember the the story about the pearl of great price and the treasure hid in the field and and, and the dragnet. You remember we spoke about that last week where Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a net that's cast into the ocean and it brings up all sorts of fish and it gets to shore and then they begin to sort out the good from the bad. And once again, I want to remind you, one day Jesus will separate the good from the bad. And, it, and right now you can't tell. Right now you look in the field of the church of God and you can see the wheat and you, you're not sure which ones are tares. But can I tell you, they're in there. And Jesus was, wasn't hiding the fact that, that the church is, is going to be infiltrated by corruption through imitation and to be careful of those things. And so we taught about the kingdom of heaven. We didn't get to spend a whole lot of time on this last week, but... One other really important part of his teaching ministry was not just teaching about himself, the Savior, the Messiah, not just teaching about the kingdom, but he spent a lot of time teaching about how to live in the kingdom. We've discussed this before, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. These are um, used in a lot of different ways, sometimes interchangeably, sometimes with a distinction. Uh, But whenever we talk about the kingdom of God, what do you have to have to have a kingdom? Well, the most important thing is you have to have a king. With no king, there is no kingdom. And so, and so Jesus came to teach them how to live in his kingdom. If you're going to follow me, if I'm going to be your king, if you're going to reject this present world and live for eternity, you're going to have to live a different way in my kingdom. And so he spent some time, um, and of course that's Matthew chapter 5. He, he preaches this famous message on the Sermon on the Mount, and he begins to teach them about his kingdom and those beatitudes and all the, um, all the great information that he teaches in the, in the Sermon on the Mount about building a life for eternity. Don't invest in, your, in possessions of this life. that They will deceive you. And all these different messages he had for his disciples, keeping the law uh, in his kingdom. And so last week we spent talking about what, what, what he was. He was a teacher, 
And this week, uh, we're going to talk about what he did. Now, let's read this verse here in John chapter 21, in verse number 25. The Bible says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they could be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. So let me just admit to you at the very beginning, my goal today to talk about what Jesus did in his earthly ministry is an impossible task. We could be here, well, what did John say? If we could fill the whole world with books, they couldn't contain everything that Jesus did in his life. So I know that this is a, this is a, uh, uh, you know, a fool's errand to try and in one, in one Sunday school class in a matter of 30 minutes try and talk about what Jesus did in his earthly ministry. But uh, we're going to try and at least hit the major things that, uh, that we can pull from Scripture on what Jesus did. So he was a teacher. That's who he was. What did he do when he came to this earth? What were his actions? What were his behaviors? What were his habits? How did he carry himself and conduct himself day to day? And so this morning, I'd like for us to spend a little time talking about not just who he was, a teacher, a savior, but also what he did. The first thing that Jesus uh, spent a lot of his time doing in this earthly ministry was training. Training. Now, he, w- teaching and training are not the same thing. You know, you can, you can, you can teach all day. Like you, you guys can come to class, and, we, I can, and I can teach you, and that's what we do here. We're teaching in here, but we're not doing any training in here. Training takes place out there. Training takes place outside of the, you know, 9.30 to 11.30 on Sunday mornings uh, when we come to church. Training is practical. Training is where you get your hands dirty. It's where you roll up your sleeves. And, and maybe we could think about like this. Jesus was the master, and he was training the apprentices. And so he spent his time on this earth investing in these disciples and these apostles and training them, not just teaching, not just teaching, but training them how to live, how to behave, how to conduct themselves. And how did he do that? I'd like to look at a couple of different methods that Jesus used to train his apprentices, his disciples. As a matter of fact, many times they would come and call him master. That's, if you were a prince, that's what you would call the person that was training. You'd call them the master. And so that was kind of the right relationship he had with his disciples. But how did he do this? Let's look at Mark chapter 3. And I, and I hope... Today, but even beyond, and it doesn't do anything for me if you turn in the Bible to the scriptures that I, that I reference. It doesn't help me at all teach the class any better or any worse. It's not going uh, to determine my you know, effectiveness uh, up here, but it will help you. When I call out reference, I would encourage you. I'm not checking. I'm not, there's nobody taking, nobody's spying on anybody. It's just, but it will help you if you turn to those scriptures and read what the Bible says. Because we're going to be turning around this entire year. We're going to spend a whole lot of time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so as we call these out and we're jumping around, I would encourage you, if you I'll, I'll give you a little time, turn over there and look at these verses with me um, to, to, to see it for yourself, to see the word of, word of God yourself as we look at this. So uh, Mark chapter number 3, and we're going to look at verses 13 and 15. The Bible says here, Mark chapter 3, verses 10. So how did he train them? He trained them by personal, direct interaction. All right, let's see what the Bible says. Uh, Mark chapter 3 and verses 13 through 15. And he goeth up into a mountain, and he calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, 
and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. And then it lists the, uh, the original 12 disciples there. Um, this is, you know, just anecdotal. In some, it, well, I'll tell you in my personal opinion, take it for what it's worth. This is not anything that's going to determine if somebody goes to heaven or hell. It's not a core doctrinal issue. But if you ask my opinion, this is where the church started in the New Testament. Some people will say it happened in the day of Pentecost. I'm not, I don't want I'm not going to argue. That's fine. It's, we'll find out in heaven, okay? And I may be wrong. I'm not going to divide over it. But in my opinion, this is where the church is formed. Because what is a church? The church, the word, the Greek word, it's ecclesia. It means a called out assembly. And what did Jesus do? He just called out an assembly. And he ordained them to go out and minister. So here again, I, I, I won't, you know, it, I think it does matter, but I'm not going to argue with you about it. Okay. Anyway, my point is that's where I believe the church started. But what did he do? What was his instruction? How did he train them? His very first instruction was, I want you to be with me. I would, I would underline that in your Bible. Here in this verse, well, let's look at it again. He says, and he ordained the 12 that they should be with him. So he said, hey, guys, I want you to stay by my side. I want you to have personal experience with me. I want you to watch and observe and learn and see. And he trained his disciples by giving them direct access and said, I want you to live side by side with me. Where I sleep, you're going to sleep. Right? You're going to eat. We're going to spend as much time together as we can. And can I tell you, as a Christian, as a follower, as hopefully as if you're a disciple, can I tell you, that's our, that's, our, our, that's our calling as well, to be with him. Just spend time with him. Just to, listen, if you, as a Christian, if you want to grow and mature, it will not happen without the presence of Jesus Christ in your life. You must have the, pre, you must be with him. You must spend time with him. If you're ever going to learn anything about a Christian, being a disciple, growing, maturing in grace, it must be done in the presence of Jesus Christ. And so the very first thing that Jesus said is to his disciples is, hey, I want you to personally grow and mature with me. Spend time with me. Could I also say there's a responsibility. It's not just, um, well, okay, let's talk about, you know, uh, we'll talk about Sunday school, okay? Uh, Sunday school, we're in here teaching, and can I tell you, this is a two-way street, or it should be a two-way street. If it's just me up here talking, and I'm just, you know, blabbing for 30, 40 minutes, you know, you may get a good nap in, you may be able to catch up on your email, you may be able to do something, balance your checkbook or whatever, but you're not going to learn much unless you're invested, at least to some degree, to the extent that I am. It's got to be a two-way street, and this is true for school, when you send your kids to school, it's a two, the student has just as much responsibility as the teacher does. Now, the teacher puts the lesson plan together, and they teach them the arithmetic and all that, but the student has a responsibility. And Jesus was telling the disciples, you have a responsibility. Show up, listen, open your eyes, pay attention, follow, live with me, be with me. So his first way that he taught and trained his disciples, his apprentices, if you want, if you want to call it that, he said, I want you to be with me. We're going to go through a list here. I have six or seven different ways that Jesus taught trained people, hands-on, and, uh, and certainly it worked, <laughs> uh, you know, 2,000 years later, uh, <laughs> I would say that he was successful in his, uh, his effort there, uh, but I would say also that it doesn't just apply to Jesus training, it would also apply to the way we train others, so if, if, you're, a, if you're a parent, if you work with other people, maybe in your career, you're a leader, have any kind of position where you are responsible for leading other people, you're going to have to train them. In the same way that Jesus trained, can I tell you, he's a very good model for us to follow. 
And not just for spiritual matters. It can be for very practical matters as well. Training your kid how to clean their room and those types of things. All the same things we're talking about apply. Although Jesus was on a much uh, grander and more, uh, more critical scale than maybe teaching your kid to treat, uh, clean their room. But the fact remains, these are good methods to use. So first of all, he said, I want you to have access to me. I want you to be with me. Spend time with me. Observe me. Not only that, but he also looked, uh, if you turn to Luke chapter number 11. Luke chapter number 11. How else did he train his disciples? Luke chapter number 11 and verse number 1. Luke chapter 11, verse number 1, and it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. I want you to notice something here. Jesus, Jesus prayed in such a way that the Bible says whenever he ceased, his disciples came to him and they didn't say, teach us how to pray. That's not what they asked. They said, teach us to pray. Sometimes at work, uh, you know, I'll be working with a colleague or a peer, and, and maybe they'll have some, you know, document they're putting together, some report, some presentation. And, they, and you know, if you guys, you know, if you work uh, in any kind of, like, an administrative position, you, like, you know all these little shortcuts, right, on all the software. You can do, like, keyboard shortcuts and clicks and all these kind of things in different so software. And sometimes I'll be working with somebody, and they'll do something that I don't know how to do, but I want to learn how to do it because it will be helpful for me and make me more efficient and save time and those types of things. And I'll say, will you teach me how to do that? Like, I know the big picture. Like, I know how to, I know how to create a PowerPoint presentation. I know how to make a, an Excel spreadsheet. But maybe there's one little thing I need some help on. Can you teach me how to do that? Sure. That's not what the disciples asked. No. They didn't say, like, Jesus, we already know how to pray, but could you teach us a little bit more? No, no that's not what they said. They said, well, we don't even know what you're doing. <laughs> what is this? What, can you teach us to pray? They weren't asking for tips and tricks. They were asking for how do we do this? Amen. And why did, they, why did they come to him and ask him that question? Because they observed him. He trained them through a personal example. He showed them this is the way that it's supposed to be done. And through the disciples watching him, it caused them to come and, and appeal to Jesus and say, not teach us how to pray, but what are you doing? What is this? Can you teach us to do that? Teach us to pray. Show us how to do that. So he taught them with a personal example. Not only that, but let's turn over to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to look at beginning in verse number 5. So he taught them through presence, through direct contact, through access. He taught them through an example. Here we see him teaching his disciples, and in this portion of scripture we're about to read in verses 5 through 14, he teaches them through presence. Through plain, practical instruction. Plain, practical instruction. All right, let's look here at uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse number 5. Uh, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet stays, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who, is it, who it is as worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And when ye come into an house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. 
And whoever shall not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart out of that city or house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. So Jesus now is training his disciples. And how does he do it? He gives them very clear, precise, very basic, practical instruction. What was the stuff he was talking about? Now, certainly he told them to raise the dead. I mean, that's a supernatural thing that Jesus asked them to do. But that's not the only thing he said. He spoke to them about their finances. He spoke to them about their wardrobe they should wear. He spoke to them about the agenda they should have when they go into the town. He, he, he instructed them about the order of operation, what they should do when they get there. He, sh- he told them if they go to a house and they don't receive them, to literally wipe your feet off and leave that house. I mean, this is very specific, practical instruction. What I'm saying is Jesus made it very clear. He made it very precise. He didn't make it vague. He didn't make it hypothetical. He didn't make it just a theoretical thing. He said, no, no, practical. I want you to do, I want you to do step A. And when you're on step A, go to step B. And don't step B, go to step C. Can I say, that's, 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 what, that's what I need if I'm going to learn something. I need somebody just to hold my hand. I need you to slow it down for me. I'm not, I'm not picking up what you're dropping. You're going way too fast. I need somebody to just give me step A, step B, step C. And that's what Jesus did. He taught them just very plainly, very practically, very basic, but he made it clear. Can I tell you this morning, God's not trying to be unclear to you. He's not hiding from you. He's not, he's not limiting his voice to you. He'll make it very clear when we're ready to listen. The problem is we don't want to listen most of the time. We don't want to listen. If we'll listen, it'll be very clear what you're supposed to do. Very clear. I, I mean, how many times? Am I, am I the only one? You know, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll go to God in prayer about something and... Boy, before you can even say, Heavenly Father, he reminds you about something you need to take care of. (laughs) John, we're not talking about that until we talk about this first. He makes it very clear to his children. If you're listening, if you're listening, he's not trying to hide it from you. Can I tell you, if if you're ever in a position of training someone else, make it clear. Have you you guys seen that? I don't know if you, this is so funny. Uh, It's this little clip of these, this little probably junior age kids on a football team and it was before the game and the coach told them before you run out on the on the field you're gonna you're gonna run through the banner the cheerleaders are out there and they're holding the banner you know I'm not sure if you guys ever did that in high school if they still do that or not do they still do that now the football okay good okay so anyway we we uh, he told the guys like I want you to run out on the field but run through the banner as you're going out on the field and the cheerleaders will be there kind of cheering you on as you run out of the field to get ready to play so he sends the, the little league team out on the field and instead of running through the back of the banner and running onto the field, they ran around the cheerleaders and ran through the front of the banner and then ran back out to the field. So they kind of, it was this big mask. Have you guys seen that video? It's really funny. Uh, it's just, it's those funny kid stuff, right? The coach didn't make it clear. He told him to run through the banner, but not which side. And can I tell you, I've, I've coached little league soccer before. I'm helping with the little kids in basketball. When you're teaching kids, you better make it very clear. Amen. Very, very clear. Can I tell you, Jesus made it clear. He's kind to us because he makes it clear. Not just that he trained them through practical instruction, but let's turn to Matthew chapter 16, a couple of pages over in your Bible. Matthew chapter 16, we got to get going. Matthew chapter 16, we're going to look at a couple of verses here, verses uh, 13 and 15. So how else did Jesus train his disciples? Uh, Matthew 16, verse number 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, saying, 
whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And then if you read back uh, there, you can see that, um, that, uh, that he, they get some responses. That Some people say that you're John the Baptist or Elias or whatever. But then he, but then he asked another question in verse number 15, or as P, uh, Peter answered uh, here, verse number 14, they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, others some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So how did Jesus train his disciples, not just through personal presence, not through example, not through pl plain practical teaching, but also he taught them through probing questions. Jesus asked some good questions. And he asked the right questions. Uh, our problem is, like, uh, we don't even know what questions to ask sometimes, right? But Jesus knew the right questions to ask. Whenever, whenever he was training, he wanted to make sure they got it, right? They wanted to make sure they understood what he was saying. Many times you'll see in the Bible, the, the disciples will come to him afterwards and say, Jesus, tell us more about what you meant when you had that, when you, whenever you were teaching that parable. He wanted to make sure that they, that they retained what he taught them. Uh, once again, when you talk about just training practically, you know, whenever I'm working with people, one of the things I like to do when I'm training somebody is say, I'll train them how to do a process, and I'll say, I want you to tell me back what I just told you. Repeat back to me or explain to me what I said. I want to make sure you got it. I want to make sure I did a good job as a, as a trainer that I didn't miss something really important, right? So Jesus asked these really good questions. Uh, uh, I would encourage you, boy, it's a, it's an, it's a, it's a, it's a well, it's, it's convicting, but it's also very helpful. Go through and look, at, look in the New Testament at all the questions Jesus asked. He asked some good questions. Some questions that should cause some soul searching for all of us, not just the people he was speaking to in those days. And so Jesus would train his disciples through asking them probing questions. Let's turn back a couple of pages to Matthew 14. How else did he train his disciples? Not just through asking questions, but let's look here Matthew 14 and verse number 22. Matthew 14, verse number 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side. Well, he sent the multitudes away. Now, do you know what happens in this story? A couple of verses later, a big storm comes. And all the disciples are panicking. And this is a story where Jesus walks on the water. But where did it begin? Jesus had to train these disciples. And he said, I'm going to train them. And I'm going to train them by challenging them. I'm going to send them out on this, on this boat. And I'm going to cause a storm to come. And I'm going to see how they respond. He challenged them. Can I tell you, as a Christian, sometimes you're going to get challenged. I was, uh, uh, I think I've shared this before, that I've, I try to uh, regularly go back and read Pilgrim's Progress from time to time. And I, I, was reca I recalled recently the, that portion in that book where uh, Christian is traveling to the city, you know, that, the, glor the glorious city to, to basically heaven in this parable, in the, in the story of Pilgrim's Progress. But before he gets to his destination, he comes across these two giant beasts that caused a lot of fear. And in the story, if you read it, uh, he, Christian actually encounters a couple of other people running away and they're warning him, don't go this way. There's, there's dangerous beasts that will kill you. But Christian continues to persevere and he continues and he sees the beast and he begins to, to have fear. But then he's greeted by evangelist. You guys have read Pilgrim's Progress. Am I being totally crazy here? He's greeted by evangelist and evangelist says, no, no, this is a test to scare those away that don't have faith. Those that have faith will continue forward. Because uh, Jesus will challenge us to prove our faith, not to him, but to us. God doesn't know, need to know if I'm saved or not. He knows. 
But can I tell you, there's sometimes in my Christian life, I've needed to be reminded I'm saved. I've needed some evidence in my life that my salvation is genuine. And that's a healthy thing to do as a Christian from time to time. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, the Bible says. Don't, don't be presumptuous in thinking that you're going to go to heaven just because you come to church. Jesus said most people are deceived. Most people are going down the broad way. Jesus said very few go down the straight and narrow way. We will be challenged in our Christian life to prove our faith. And that's how Jesus trained his disciples. Guys, I'm going to send you out on a challenge, something hard. We, we do a disservice to the people that we love when we're training them or teaching them if we don't challenge them. If we don't put some pressure on them. Now, there's a balance there. I'm not, I'm, I mean, you, you can go to extremes. But what I'm saying is uh, we're not helping anybody by coddling people all the time. Sometimes you just have to have straight talk. Just challenge some people from time to time. That's what happens in the Christian life. That's how we grow. You will never grow by being comfortable. You will, in any capacity, in any, in any area of your life, you will never grow by being comfortable. We have to be challenged. Uh, you know, we've talked about this example before. How do you get muscles to grow? Not that I'm the person you should come talk to to ask about this topic, but I'm just saying, how do you get your muscles to grow? You get them to grow by challenging them to lift something too heavy to lift. And then, and then your muscles get larger. They get stronger. And so we learn we, we are trained by being challenged by Jesus. And that's, what, and that's how he trained his disciples. Let's turn to another, uh, maybe a little, uh, a little a softer side of Jesus. Let's turn to John. And we'll go to John chapter 21. How else did he train them? He trained them through his personal presence. He trained them through his living example. He trained them through practical instruction, through probing questions. He, he, tra he trained them through challenging them. And here in this portion of Scripture, the story of Peter, and here we see Jesus comes to him after he's betrayed Jesus three times. And Jesus takes this opportunity to train Peter through some individual instruction and some encouragement. All right, so let's see uh, what the Bible says. Uh, Jesus uh, is coming. Uh, well, let's look at verse number 13 in chapter 21. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. And now is the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, son, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hand, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. So Jesus comes to Peter, who, you know, if you know the story, he's obviously, he's, he's distraught. He's denied Jesus three times. He's turned his back on the ministry. The Bible says he's gone back to fishing. He's now gone back to his old job again. And Jesus comes to him, and he doesn't berate him. He doesn't beat him over the head. He doesn't make him feel terrible. He encourages him. He trains him. He tells him, I still have a plan for you, Peter. Don't give up. Continue. 
Don't turn back. And Jesus taught through individual instruction and encouragement. And can I tell you, in your Christian life, Jesus will train you that way as well. There will be times you will need encouragement. You can't get it from anybody else but God. And he will provide it if you'll come to him. And then let's turn over to Luke chapter number 22. We'll look at this um, uh, one last uh, area that we were going to look at this morning as far as ways that Jesus trained his disciples. Luke chapter 22. Here again, he's talking with Peter. Luke 22 and verses 31 and 32. And the Lord said, verse number 31 here of uh, chapter 22. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So we see here again another interaction. If you know the story here, Jesus is coming to the disciples to tell them, hey, I'm fixing to be, I'm fixing to be uh, captured and killed. And Peter says, you know, I'll never let that happen. And, and what was Jesus' response back to him? He said, uh, Peter, you're thinking about this present world, and we should be thinking about the eternity to come. Get behind me, Satan. That's some pretty hard, those are pretty hard. Hard, hard words to, to, uh, to say to somebody. I mean, would you call somebody a devil that you loved? Would you call them Satan? That's what Jesus did. He trained his disciples through, rebu- through rebuke and correction. He wasn't afraid to have a hard conversation. Sometimes you have to have hard conversations. I've heard it said, there's a famous quote, that everything you want in life is on the other side of a hard conversation. And that's, that's pretty true. I'm not sure if it's true to every aspect, but in most cases, to get what you really want in life, it's going to require a lot of hard conversations with people. But yet, I don't know about you, you know, that may not be something we enjoy doing, having difficult conversations, talking about difficult topics and subjects. But Jesus never shied away from those things. But can I tell you, he didn't just rebuke his disciples. He also encouraged them. In this same portion of Scripture, you can see he didn't just rebuke Peter, but he also trained Peter about restoration. He said to him in this verse here, uh, verse number 9 in this chapter, but when ye shall, I'm sorry, that's the wrong, wrong page, uh, verse number 32, but I have prayed for thee. First of all, Jesus wanted Peter to know, hey, I want you, I'm praying for you, Peter. Man, what, a, what an encouraging thought that would be to think that Jesus prayed for you. Man, how, how much peace would you have right now if you knew that Jesus was praying for you? How much comfort would you have right now if the Son of God himself was the one praying on your behalf? Can I tell you a little secret? He is. He is. John chapter 15, he talks about how he prayed not just for the disciples, but all those that come after the disciples. That's you and me. The Bible says right now that he is our advocate before the Father for us right now. Jesus prayed for Peter. He encouraged me. He said, Peter, look, you're, you're going to disappoint me. You're going to deny me. He actually goes on to say there in a couple of verses, he, ta- he gives the prophecy about denying Christ three times, uh, 34. And I tell thee, um, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou hast to thrice deny me. And, and So before he tells him, Peter, you're going to deny me, he says, Peter, I'm praying for you. That's not the only thing he said. He didn't just say, Peter, I'm praying for you. He said, Peter, I know you're going to come back. What did he say here? He said, uh, but I've prayed for thee. 
that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted. The word converted, it is not talking about salvation conversion. That word converted just means when you've returned to me. Peter, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna, you're gonna get off the reservation, but I'm praying for you, and I already know you're going to... Re- it's not a matter of if you're going to come back, it's when. What, hey, once you're saved, it's for eternity. You may, you may, you may uh, make some bad choices, you may go down some, some terrible roads, but your salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. And Jesus' instruction to Peter was, I'm praying for you that your faith won't fail. And when you are converted, strengthen the brethren. Jesus taught through restoration. What else did Jesus do? He wasn't just a trainer. What else did he do? He was also a healer. That's what most of us think about when we think about Jesus. And that's why I wanted to really emphasize last week that we get kind of caught up in all the miraculous things, but Jesus day-to-day was a teacher. That's what he was in his day-to-day. But he also did a bunch of miraculous things. So let's, we don't have a whole lot of time, but I'm going to just run through some of these things, just some kind of highlights of way, the ways, because we're going to go through all this as we go through this year at, at the life of Christ. But let's talk about the, the, the way that Jesus healed, the method. Uh, first of all, you'll see that, uh, well, let's turn real quick. We'll look at one verse, then I'll look. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And verse number 32. And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. So what did Jesus do? He was a trainer. He was a master teaching his apprentices. But he was also a healer. And how did he do it? What you'll find is he did it repeatedly. He didn't just heal once. He did it all the time, in a variety of different situations. What I'm saying is was he, this wasn't like a, a one-time event. This was something that he could repeat on demand again and again and again over time. He could repeatedly heal people. But he, did, but he didn't just come out and say, like, a, you might see this on TV sometimes, these, these uh, I'll call them, they're charlatans, these, these false prophets, these false teachers on TV, these televangelists that all they care about is sending you their money. And if you watch them on TV, they're always trying to heal people. And what do they do? They'll come out, you've seen them. I'll call Benny Hinn, false teacher. He'll come out and he'll blow on people. You, have you seen that? He'll blow on them and they'll have a whole section of people that will just fall over. Because they've been miraculously slain by the Spirit or something, some kind of nonsense like that. Uh, you know, I've seen them, they'll take their, their coat off and they'll wave it around and they'll heal people. Or they'll all kind of, they'll, you know, they'll, can I say that's nothing like what Jesus did in the Bible. Whenever you see Jesus healing, it was never like, uh, all you people over there, you're healed. He never did that. It was always personal. It was always one-on-one, individual. Jesus wasn't like, okay, form a line and come slap my head, give me a high five, all you guys are healed. Come on. That's not what he did. He took the time to personally get involved with people's lives and healed them. Uh, That story of... uh, the woman that had the issue of blood. The Bible, says that, uh, the, the Bible says that she just touched the hem of his garment. And the Bible says, if you read it, it says that whenever she touched him, Jesus knew that virtue, the Bible says, virtue had left out of him. And he said, who touched me? That word virtue there, if you look it up, it means 
power or strength. What I'm saying is whenever Jesus healed people, it cost him something. It took a toll upon his earthly body. It took, he got weary. He got tired. It was a burden. Every time he healed somebody, it wasn't, it was through the limitations of his earthly flesh, it cost him something to heal people. There was a personal investment in individual attention whenever Jesus healed people. And there was also a variety of healing. It wasn't just one type of healing. He could do it all. If we were maybe to talk in medical terms, uh, and there's some debate on exactly how many miracles Jesus did. It depends on how you classify certain things, but let's just talk about healings of people's physical ailments. I'm going to say there's 26. Some people think there's 25. It's just how you divide it up. Once again, not, not anything worth arguing about, but in my, in, my, in my list, I have 26 examples of healings that Jesus did in the Bible. 11 of them were for just general, what you would call general internal medicine, right? If you were if you were a, kind of a doctor thinking about it like that, it was just general healings that he did, right? There wasn't anything specifically known or there weren't details provided, but he healed people generally 11 times. Five times he healed blind people. He gave back their sight in five different instances. And this is where it kind of divides because sometimes the, the blind person was also mute. And so people, anyway, uh, there was five people that were blind that were healed. There were three people that were either maimed or paralyzed in the Bible that Jesus healed. Um, there were, uh, there were three people that were raised from the dead. I'm not sure what kind of medicine that would be, but he raised three people from the dead. And then he had four different type of, uh, kind of ear, nose, throat type of like the mute, the deaf, those types of situations. So it wasn't just one. What I'm saying is uh, Jesus could, could heal in any capacity. There wasn't any part of the human body that Jesus couldn't touch and heal if they came to him for healing. But I think even more interesting than the variety of healings is the motivation for the healings. Why did Jesus heal? What was his purpose? Why did he do that? First of all, you'll find that Jesus, like in many cases, Jesus healed out of compassion. If you think about the man that was at the pool of, uh, the pool of uh, Bethesda, that he said, no man is here to carry me into the water. When the angel troubles the water, if you know that story, the angel would come down and trouble the water. And anybody that was the first person in the water would get healed. And there was this man, and Jesus walked by, and the Bible says Jesus had compassion on him. And he asked him, and he said, why are you sitting here? He said, because I have no man. And the Bible says Jesus commanded him to stand up and walk. Why did Jesus heal that day, on that time, for that person? I mean, he walked by other people that were lame. This wasn't the only man at that pool that day. Why did he heal that man? He had compassion on him. And he did that multiple times. But can I tell you the number one reason why Jesus healed others? The number one reason, if you read the New Testament, every time he healed somebody, the number one reason that Jesus healed somebody was because a friend of the person that needed help had sympathy and came to Jesus and asked for help. If there was someone else that needed help and they couldn't go to Jesus, and that person said, I'm going to go talk to Jesus for you. You remember the story about the man that was crippled, laid in a bed, and his four friends came and broke open the roof yeah. and, and, and laid Jesus down to the bottom. And what did Jesus do? He said, because of y'all's faith, yep. I'm going to heal your friend. And that's not the only story. What about the Roman soldier that came to Jesus and said, hey, one of, my, one of my soldiers is hurt. Can you heal him? And you said, okay, let's go. And, and he said, no, you don't have to go. Just say the word. It'll happen. And what did Jesus say? I've not seen all, so much faith in all of Israel. Not the sick man's faith, but the centurion's faith. Eleven times, eleven times in the New Testament do people come to Jesus. And because they came on the behalf of someone else, Jesus healed that person. We have a... Uh, a prayer request list in our class. I wonder if Jesus is waiting for us to ask for somebody else's, for somebody else to get help to answer those 
answer those uh, prayer requests. I'm not saying Jesus won't ask if I personally ask for healing. I'm not saying he won't do that. He, he did that before. There are other times where Jesus came, people came to Jesus and personally asked for healing and they were healed. But the number one reason Jesus healed was because somebody else asked. Not the person that needed healing, but their friend asked. Because they had a sympathetic friend. Can I tell you, the number one thing we can do for our friends is bring them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. And so you see that Jesus healed through the faith of a sympathetic friend. Why else did he heal? He would heal many times. Uh, I'll, say, I'll say it like this. He, he did it to rebuke the religious. How, and I think it happened three or four times where Jesus healed on a Sabbath. And the Bible expressly said he did it to, to, just because the Pharisees were watching to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. You remember the story about the man with the withered hand? Yeah. And the Bible says the Pharisees watched to see if Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. And the way the story goes, Jesus kind of looks at the Pharisees, looks at the man, is like, okay, I'll heal him. Just to show you guys I can heal on the Sabbath. Just to rebuke the religious. He would heal. And so, uh, you know, uh, maybe, maybe uh, uh, well, anyway, he did it to, to rebuke the religious in those situations. He also did it to demonstrate he was divine. He would heal people to prove who he was. That I am who I said that I am. Whenever I told you I'm the way, when I told you I'm the bread of life, when I told you I'm the son of God, that no one comes to the Father but by me, this is why you can trust what I'm telling you, because I can do these miraculous things. So he did it to demonstrate the great works of God. He did it to demonstrate the divinity of Jesus Christ. In, in one situation specifically, he even says to the person he healed, he says, your sins are forgiven. He didn't just say you're healed, he said your sins are forgiven. And in that story, if you recall, boy, the Pharisees got all fired up about that because they're saying, who else can forgive sins except for God? Well, Jesus can because he is God. So he would heal those to rebuke the religious in those situations. And then you'll find that he would, he would perform these miracles to fulfill prophecy. Let's look at uh, one verse and we'll be done here today. Um, let's turn to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah 35. And we'll look at verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> and this is Isaiah speaking prophetically of the Messiah, what he would do when he comes. Verse number 3. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say unto them that are of a fearful heart, be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance even God with a recompense, and he will come and save you. The eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap in, as in heart, and, the, and the, uh, the tongue of the dumb sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. So why else did he do this to fulfill prophecy? Now let me just say something about miracles, um, and, then, and, we'll be, and we'll be done. We, we did not get through, uh, man, we're probably going to have to finish this next week. I apologize for that. Uh, but let's talk about miracles for a moment. Just something just to be kind of think about when it comes to the context of what was going on in that day. Uh, so the, 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 the Jews, the, Israel, the Israelites, when they were thinking of the Messiah coming, their expectations were completely different than what, what they got. And, this, and that was, this caused a lot of issues. But, but think about it from their perspective. If you lived in those days, if you lived in those days, 2,000 years ago in, in, in the Middle East, you were surrounded by nothing but death and terrible situations and extreme poverty and extreme health needs. And it was just everywhere. 
I mean, it's, it, we, we, we have gotten very accustomed to modern life, and, and we, don't, we, don't, we deal with death very infrequently compared to what they deal with back in those days. I mean, what was the, the, the average lifespan was, you know, you make it to maybe 30 or 40. How many children died in infancy? I mean, it was, death was everywhere. And, and, and people needed miracles everywhere. And, and whenever Jesus heard, and whenever people heard that Jesus came and that the Messiah had come, and they heard that he healed some blind man, from their perspective, just try and put yourself in their shoes, they would think, why is he healing a blind Who cares about some random blind man? There's blind men everywhere. Who cares? Why won't he come overthrow Rome? That's what we need to do. That's what they wanted. They wanted to be freed from the tyranny of Rome and Caesar and Jesus going around healing individual people because they couldn't hear or because they were mute or something like that. And, he's like, and people in that day would think, well, what does it matter? That's not the biggest issue right now. Some random poverty-stricken person by a pool that can't get to the water. Who cares about that person? But Jesus cares. Jesus cares about the individual. Can I tell you this morning, Jesus cares about you. You're not forgotten. He didn't leave you out of his plan. He didn't lose you. He cares about you personally. And if, and if we will be obedient, we, like the disciples, can be trained by Jesus, and we can see miraculous works done. Now, I'm not saying we're going to go out and heal people. I'm not saying that. But can I say there's something much better than healing somebody of being blind? How about this? Having somebody be going from lost to being saved. That's a lot more important where you're going to spend eternity versus where you spend a few years here on this earth. Jesus cares about the individual, the person, and we should too. Let's have a word of prayer. And next week, we will finish up on what Jesus did. We didn't get to the, the control over nature, the casting out demons. Yes, ma'am? You have not because you ask not. Amen. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Pray you would uh, bless the service to come, that you would be with our pastor, use him in a great way. Lord, pray to help us as the, the church body to have our hearts prepared to be in unity and in a sweet spirit in the service to come. In Christ, in Christ we pray, amen.